Hi friends, welcome to the Psyche Mental Wellbeing Podcast with me, your host, Hannah. On the show, I'm joined each episode by an amazing guest to have an honest conversation, share our real life experiences and tackle stigma and misconceptions around mental health along the way. We believe that everyone would benefit from focusing a little more on their mental well-being, and we're here to support you to do just that. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi friends and welcome back. Happy Wednesday and how are you doing? I'm going to remember to do it first again and thank Lauren and Alik who joined us on Monday to talk all about laughter yoga which was so much fun and I really hope you've been finding moments to laugh just because in your in your day-to-day life when you're doing the washing up for example or the laundry. I haven't tried it yet but it is something I'm committing to having a go at and, and seeing the impact because I like this idea I think I've talked about before of experimental living, of just giving stuff a go and, and kind of seeing what happens. So that's something I'm going to do. I'm just going to try just laughing. I won't do it now, but see how it goes. And so today we have another really fun episode. I loved having this conversation and diving into hypnotism and the benefits of it generally, and particularly around mental health and looking at some of those misconceptions uh, with Doug. So I won't say any more now, Uh, let's dive in and I'll be back super quickly at the end. Hi everyone and I'm really happy to welcome today's guest Doug to the podcast. So Doug, welcome and if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. Well first, thank you so much for having me. My name is Doug Sands and I call myself the Meaningful Life Hypnotist because I work with people to really cemented in what they want to focus their life around, whether it's their life purpose or a passion or mission or something. I work a lot with adventurous people because I climb, I ski, I hike and do a lot of outdoor things. And so that's kind of the people I attract, but uh, I work completely online and that was uh, a bit interesting uh, starting out. But now that COVID-19 has happened and everyone is in the online space, it seemed to be a very good uh, starting point foundation for my business. Yeah, it's very interesting, isn't it? That there are some people such as yourself who have set up online and now suddenly every <laughs> everyone's <laughs> having to do it. And I think there's something about being kind of exclusively online. You're like the pro at <laughs> what it's like. Yeah. 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 When I got started, there are many hypnotic techniques that benefit from being in person. And I had to, there was that initial learning curve of figuring out how to actually um, get the same results in hypnosis over Zoom. And at first, that was a limit that I, I think I was placing on myself. I was like, you know, I can't do this in person because I travel a lot. And so I thought, you know, I'm, I might not be as effective. But I found the actual reverse is true because hypnosis is all about the trust between a hypnotist and a subject. And when a person is in their own environment, whether it's their living room or their bedroom, they are so much more comfortable and they're so much more willing to make that change. Mm. Yeah, that's so interesting. I've definitely found that I'm a bit socially anxious sometimes. And as soon as we went into our first lockdown last year, I was like all over Zoom, joining all these chats with people. And there was something about the safety of being at home and security that meant I was more comfortable in these social situations. Because worst case scenario, oh, sorry, Zoom crashed, air quotes. (laughs) And you could just like, it's a nice out. You can't just, well, I don't feel like I could just get up and walk out of a room. But yeah, 
Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. So I'd love to talk a little bit more about hypnosis and kind of what it is all about. So for for anyone who's listening, who's maybe heard it before or has absolutely no idea, we quite like to go back to basics with what we're talking about. So we're all on the same page. Yeah. I get a lot of questions about people coming in. They've seen the stage shows or they've seen a comedy show on TV. And they ask, is that what hypnosis is going to be like in our session? And in the hypnosis field, there are two pretty distinct uh, fields, divisions within that. There's the people who do this for entertainment, for the comedy side of it. And there's people who do it for the clinical or therapeutic side. Uh, there are many who do both. Personally, I do a little bit of both because I just, you know, I enjoy it. When I get on stage, um, it's just, it's such a cool experience because you're interacting with um, basically a group of people that you've never met before. And so it's kind of like an improv show every single time. I had someone ask me once, does that make me less of a qualified uh, clinical hypnotist? Mm. And I said, if I can hypnotize 30 complete strangers on stage, imagine how much that will benefit me as practice for when we are working one-on-one -on -one together. And so that's, that's where most people come in. They expect it to be kind of like the stage show. And I have to break down those misconceptions. People often ask me, is hypnosis mind control? And when we're in hypnosis, we're working with the part of our mind that stems from that fight, flight, or freeze response. Your brain is always trying to protect you. And so if at any point you give a suggestion to a person that their mind doesn't agree with, it's either going to bring them out of trance or their mind will just completely ignore it. I had a hypnotist friend who did an informal study of this and they hypnotized a bunch of volunteers and they gave them five suggestions four were you know beneficial and one was mildly negative i believe it was like uh you'll go hug someone random on the street something like that level mm. every single person when they hit that negative suggestion they were brought out of trance because they had broken that level of trust with the the person in hypnosis and so what i do in this clinical or ther therapeutic hypnosis uh, we get people to that same level of trance as a stage show does. But the difference is what we do when they're in that level of trance. So in this change work, we use tools from psychology and neuroscience and NLP to actually elicit that change and then make sure it's going to last. The powerful thing about hypnosis is that when you are in that deep state, the parts of your mind that are suggestible, they are more active. And the parts of your mind that um, block out suggestions that, I don't know, might hurt you or something, it's a little more permissive. It's not offline. It's still protecting you, mm -hmm. but it's more open to letting those changes go to that deep unconscious level where we put habits and other things that we learn. Hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting. And I, my mind was kind of... Um stuck a little bit on a, a kind of Darren Brown experiment that he did where he I don't know if you've seen those um, and I think this might have not have just been one session but they were seeing whether it was possible to suggest things to people and they kind of um, so probably a little bit beyond just hypnosis to see if someone would shoot air quotes it was not real but under hypnosis shoot like a famous actor and they did and so when you were saying that if it's something that that breaks the trust I was thinking well what does that say about that person maybe if their <laughs> brain didn't go no this is too far yeah mm -hmm. I would say I, I have seen that as well and the person in hypnosis they believe they were doing the right thing 
they believed that they were protecting their family or uh, saving their country, whatever it might have been. They believed in that moment that pulling that trigger was the right choice. Mm -hmm. And so I think in that it was more, it was not so, it it looks like a really cool hypnosis trick and it, it plays off very well for the TV shows, but I think it was much more setting up and pre-framing it that this is actually a good thing to do this. And mm-hmm. so when you went into hypnosis, yeah, it was a clear choice for that person. Yeah. Yeah. So, in, I mean, so interesting, but let's move away from the, enter- <laughs> the <laughs> entertainment side to, uh, yeah, to the other side. And so uh, with, with this, um, hypnosis I guess my my first question and I'm someone I am open-minded but a bit skeptical often Mm -hmm. so if you have someone like me who's not completely like none of this is ever going to work but is a bit like hmm is that a barrier to it being effective does someone have to be like a hundred percent kind of believing in it and committed for it to be effective as with anything there is a bit of a placebo effect so when you believe in the process it does help but what I find is that when even the skeptics, when they experience that first round of hypnosis, and then they experience the tangible results of that, like when you can put a person in hypnosis, say they've got anxiety for, I don't know, 10 years or something. And at the end of that session, like a week later, they realize they haven't had a panic attack in like, and in, in since that hypnosis session, that is powerful. And getting those results for people and showing them just how comfortable hypnosis is it really removes those barriers and so i'd say nine times out of ten after that first session people are usually on board with it yeah awesome and and like you said you know the the kind of the clinical therapeutic hypnosis is very different to the kind of stage hypnosis and i know um it, it may be different where you are but in in the uk it's something that kind of um the health service is getting more on board with things like hypnosis for maybe not for everything, but in certain situations. And they're quite fussy about what they say is um, an acceptable treatment. Yeah, absolutely. Especially over in Europe, there are, there are so many more supporters of hypnosis than here in the States. In the States, it still feels kind of like a backwater um, idea of what hypnosis is. But hypnosis in Europe has been studied for over 125 years. And I know hypnotists who work entirely like within the hospital system, like they're on staff, like a doctor or a nurse. And it's really hypnosis. The field is experiencing a renaissance right now. People are really coming to it and realizing that this isn't just some woo woo mumbo jumbo thing. This is something that is actually getting results for many people. Yeah. Awesome. And we love things that get results. Um, So I'm also, as well as being an open-minded skeptic, a massive geek so I'd really love to know a bit more about um you know and I could talk about this for hours and we won't do that because everyone else probably like like the nitty-gritty of kind of how hypnosis actually works what it what actually does yeah it's all about the the brainwave patterns and so in our normal conversation like we're having right now our brainwaves are hovering in beta frequency that's just where we're normally at. Anything below that, our minds are slowing down and going towards sleep. Anything above that, our minds are speeding up and we're experiencing really intense focus. And in hypnosis, we are aiming to slow down that mind, that process to get people to theta, 
And theta is that frequency just above delta, which is where you're sleeping. And that's kind of why it looks like people are sleeping. But in hypnosis, a person is aware and hearing every single thing that happens. And so when we're in that theta state, two things are happening. One, the critical faculty, the part of your mind that, that blocks out suggestions you might not want, that is a little more permissible, as we mentioned before. It's, it is open-minded, I guess, in that, in that frame of mind. Uh, the other side is that your creative side of your brain, it starts to turn on in theta state. If you've ever had a really good idea right before you fell asleep, that's because your brain was passing through that theta state on its way to delta. And our mind, it communicates best in images and feelings. And that's why we get that gut sense or that our skin crawling feeling when something is wrong. That's our mind communicating with us. And when you're in that theta state and activating those creative parts of yourself, you can use that to communicate with your brain through visualizations and other techniques to communicate with your brain in a way that it understands. Yeah, awesome. I mean, so interesting. Um, yeah, I really <laughs> try to control like my my inner geek. Um, <laughs> so uh, obviously, on the uh, on the show, we're all about mental well-being, mental wellness, and I know that one of uh, the things that you can help people with is mental illness, kind of fear, all of those kind of things. So, could you speak a little bit around that about specifically with me- yeah mental yeah. illness and all that? Absolutely, mental illness has been a huge part of my own life. I actually lost my mother to mental illness and it's been a, Sorry. I appreciate it. It's been a um, constant, or I shouldn't say constant. It was a very defining force in my early life. And I came to meditation and then later hypnosis via um, looking for something to deal with my own anxiety. And so when someone comes in to see, to see me working you know, wanting to work on anxiety or depression. I've got that background. I know what it feels like. Uh, Now, as a hypnotist, I am not a licensed medical professional. And so technically I cannot work with depression or anxiety. And most hypnotists, they'll say, they'll tell their clients, you know, I can't technically work with your depression, but I can break up those habitual thoughts in your mind and you might be happier. And if your depression, quote unquote, goes away, you know, that's, that's fine by me. And so it's just a legal workaround, but working with mental illness, it's not only so rewarding for me, but it's also so powerful to see a person realize they can make that change. Typically a first session is, um, People are coming in, they're not really sure, they're skeptical. And then they go home, they're like, I, I, that was weird and I'm not really sure if it worked. And then they come back a week later and they're like, my entire life is different. And for me personally, realizing that my emotions were controllable, that my emotions were not uh, something happening to me, that my mind was creating them and I could influence them, that alone created that little gap and that awareness led me to wonder what else can I do with this? And after that first session, I typically see people are so invested in the process because they realize that they can now make the change themselves. And in this process, the first session, it's usually, I mean, I know personally that every single time I work with a person, it's their mind making the change. It's me guiding them to make that change, but it's their mind that does it. And working with mental health, We start off in that model, like I am working to help you change this. And then by the end of the program, 
I'm giving them self-hypnosis tools and other tools from yoga and meditation so that they don't need me anymore. They can deal with their anxiety or depression in seconds whenever it flares up. And over time, it just becomes a habit that we no longer need and our brain starts to prune it away. Mm. Yeah, it sounds amazing. And then one of the big things that we're about here is about empowering people. And it sounds like that's really key to what you're doing. You're helping people, but then you're giving them the tools so they're not mm. for the rest of their lives having to see you every week to, <laughs> to stay on top of it. Um, and also I, so I do kind of mental well-being coaching and that's similar in that it's, it's different to mental health. But I mean, one of the things that I noticed and from my own experience with depression and anxiety, that that's a big thing, but there's lots of little thoughts and beliefs and things within it that really <laughs> kind of make it worse or aggravate it. And actually, if you can unpick some of those, then it kind of starts like, I don't know what my analogy is, like little bits of light come through or whatever yeah, and starts exactly, tumbling down. Exactly. Yeah. 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 When they realize just how, how, I don't want to say easy because that sounds crude to someone who's struggling with it, but when they see a tool that sounds so simple and then they realize just how effective it is, it's, it's mind blowing. And they're just so invested in the process. And these tools, they've got a lot of neuroscience behind it, like changing modalities and everything with NLP and hypnosis. There's a lot of stuff behind it, but you don't need to know how an engine works to drive a car. And when I give a person a technique to manage their anxiety in you know, two minutes or something, they don't need to know all the science behind that. They just need to know the result of it. And when they feel that result, they just get so invested in the process. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I'm, I'm discovering that simple things sometimes <laughs> most effective. And I think it's something about our rational mind, particularly if you've had a really difficult experience that just kind of, it's used to stuff being hard and it expects mm. the solution. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. And when someone says, Hey, there's this thing, it's quite simple. This is going to help. It's like, no, no way. It's not. <laughs> yeah. 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 I definitely know that I had to get to that point of opening my, myself up to meditation and eventually hypnosis. Um, I, had a, I had a very uh, eye-opening experience. I kind of got smacked with the brick by life, I guess you could say. Um, I got lost in a blizzard and it was, I got really close to freezing to death. And it was that moment I realized I did not want to die. I'd had so many suicidal thoughts before then, but I, 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 I wanted to live. I just didn't want to live the way I was experiencing it. And so that's when I realized that I had to be invested in the change. And that that's when I sought out meditation. Mm, also, I think that's a really powerful distinction around the kind of suicidal thoughts, whether it's that, like, do I just want things to be different mm. how they are now? Or do I actually, have I had enough that I want to let go of living? And yeah, I think, you know, if you're in a situation like that, well, I'm glad that you survived <laughs> way out of a blizzard. But it's a really extreme, I guess, example of getting that almost that choice, like, whoa, which yeah. one is it? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. That brings up a, a model or a metaphor that I work with when dealing with depression and suicidal thoughts. And people quite often ask me, you know, if, if your mind is always working to help you, why, why do people commit suicide? Or why am I always sad all the time? And this metaphor comes from Tim Box, a, a hypnotist over in the UK, I believe. But um, it's like our brain is, is a ship and every different part of our brain, every part that runs a certain program, they're all crew members. And at some point, a crew member on that ship 
believed that there was a roadblock set in front of it. And that roadblock said that you are not happy right now and that you will never be happy again. Mm-hmm. And that's the important part. The second part, they, their mind really believes that they will never be happy again. And so putting them out of their suffering, that's their way of helping them. And when people realize that, that their mind is not something attacking them, that it's actually trying to help them in a reverse roundabout way, it really gets, it. it's empowering to see them realize that they are not their own worst enemy. I see so many people beating themselves up about having this problem that they're beating themselves up about. And when they realize that their mind is helping them or trying to help them, it's such a powerful moment. Mm, absolutely. Um, and so you'd mentioned um, that you kind of came across hypnosis kind of coming through meditation. And I know you've mentioned about helping people with meditation and yoga techniques and all of that. How similar or different are meditation and hypnosis in terms of what's happening in the brain? They're, I like to say they're the same mental muscle, but they're doing different things. And in solo meditation, it's not, it's not very linked to hypnosis. Your mind is actually speeding up. You're going into that gamma frequency. And that kind of surprised me. I felt like my mind was slowing down. But when you're focusing on that object, whether your breath or a mantra, your mind is speeding up. You're entering a state of hyper-focus. The interesting gray area between meditation and hypnosis are guided meditations. And in guided meditations, you are actually dropping down the scale. Most guided meditations will... Uh, get people to alpha frequency, which is a light trance. And some will actually get them all the way to theta. And I've noticed after learning hypnosis that a lot of guided meditations are actually pulling in language patterns from hypnosis. I don't know if this is done intentionally or it's just kind of been adopted by, by the general standard. But I also noticed that in the middle of guided meditations, there are often beneficial suggestions, just like there would be in hypnosis. I think that many guided meditations are like a rudimentary hypnosis session. But when I work with someone who has experienced guided meditations extensively and they go into hypnosis, they're like, yeah, that was, that was just like a really deep guided meditation session. Yeah. So interesting. Cause I've, I've been doing, um, working through a mindfulness based stress reduction program. Mm-hmm. And so it has guided meditations and and those I often I call it like a dozing stage I'm like, yeah. I'm not like asleep <laughs> but I'm not really doing what I'm supposed to be doing um and when I do a solo one I tend to mostly be much more present and and aware and so although the kind of focus of the guided meditations is about bringing focus and the awareness maybe it's that I'm kind of dropping down too much. And um, whereas when I'm by myself, I'm kind of going up. This, yeah. So interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Analyzing my meditation. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. Yeah. yeah awesome. And uh, one of the other things I know that you um, speak about, which I love this idea is um, for people to overcome these roadblocks in their lives to live their own adventure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mentioned before, I do a lot of outdoor adventure stuff and when I got started, that was really my focus. I wanted to help hikers and uh, mountain bikers and all that kind of stuff. But I realized that the, the inspiration to do those adventurous things, it manifests in so many different ways for different people. For some people, it might be starting a business. For another person, it might be traveling the world and starting a nonprofit. For another person, it might just be leaving an abusive relationship or something like that. 
the through line is there. It's all about people taking ownership of their life because that was my story. I grew up in a rural part of the US and I was kind of a victim. I was following our society's um, example, at least here in the US. Uh, you go to high school and then immediately you go to college without a gap year. And even if you don't know what you're doing and you just kind of figure it out on the way. And I, I eventually dropped out of college because it wasn't right for me. And it was only in that moment that I started taking action rather than letting the you know, society and my family and life decide what I was going to happen. That's where I started realizing I've got, you know, I've got this ability to change and I've got passions, I've got interests. And I often tell people it's, we talk about the negative spiral of um, negative emotion or negative habits and stuff like that, but it also works the other way. There's a positive spiral. When you change something positively in your life, it makes the next positive change so much easier. And as you continue that positive change, it just keeps improving your life. Yeah. And people can't see, I'm like nodding along <laughs> to that because that's something I've definitely personally experienced that, um, you know, picking kind of one thing that's like a positive habit and think about, I'm going to try this. And for me, that was exercise when I'd been really depressed and I'd sort of Googled like, what helps you stop being depressed? Yeah. <laughs> it comes <laughs> up, I'm laughing, but that's actually what happened. Um, and then I was like, fine, fine. I'll try it. Cause everyone says about it. And, mm-hmm. um, and then that helped. And then what, because of that, then other things kind of fell into place. And then, yeah, you have that, that kind of lift um, in mood. And, and I love that idea of adventure being kind of personal for everyone that, you know, we're not all jumping out of planes or whatever, <laughs> yeah. um, that it's, it's different things. And it's something that definitely I've been feeling a, you know, a sense of in my own life of wanting to have more adventure and um, which is difficult at the moment um <laughs> yes. depending on what your kind of adventure <laughs> adventure is but um yeah, yeah so I love that message mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. awesome Doug do you have a final thought on hypnosis meditation adventure life that you'd like to share before I ask you my set questions yeah I would like to say that our emotions are so malleable they're literally just electrical impulses in our brains now we can repeat those again and again. And I fell into the same trap as well. But when you find something to interrupt that pattern, stick with it. I don't care if it's hypnosis or meditation or yoga, or just going out on a walk when you feel stressed or something, find something that works for you. Because as they say, the best exercise is the one you actually do. And when you find something that works for you, it can change your life. We all need to manage our emotions, whether we're dealing with mental illness or whether we're just dealing with the stress of everyday life, managing our emotion gives us emotions, gives us that space to choose our next path. Mm, yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. So yes, I have some set questions. I ask everyone that comes on and I'd love to hear your thoughts on these. And the first one is what brings you joy in your life? Mm. I feel joy when I can help people and seems like a very cliche answer, but it stems from a Buddhist idea that those who focus on themselves, they're never the joyful ones. It's always focusing on others that brings people joy. And it took me a while to wrap my head around, but I really do feel that, that thrill, that excitement, that 
meaning in my life, that feeling that I'm making an impact when I'm helping a person change and showing them and giving them the tools that change my own life so that they can change their own. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree with, <laughs> with that. So um, then my next question is what makes life meaningful for you? Mm. For a long time, I was living life by other people's examples and by other people's rules. Mm. Meaning for me means being able to choose my own path and being able to give back to the community as a whole. And I found that in hypnosis, but I've also found that in uh, just my daily interactions. And when I am able to step into that and choose to be kinder and choose to actually help people in different ways, it really, really fills me up. Absolutely. I'm a hundred percent like agreeing with your answers from a personal <laughs> level as well. So. Yeah. Um, so my next two questions are around our kind of overarching topic on the show. So the first one is what does mental wellness mean to you? Mental wellness. We always talk about, at least over here in the States, we always talk about mental illness as either like a great, a black or white issue. Like you either have it and you are suicidally depressed or anxious or you are completely fine. But it is such a gradient. I see so many people coming in. They say, well, I don't have anxiety, but I've been feeling really anxious because of COVID. And it's like, well, you're somewhere on that scale. I don't, we don't have to label it with that because we have such a stigma around that. But mental wellness is really about being able to bring yourself back up to the better side of that scale through whatever techniques you use. And in life, there are so many different bumps along the way, um, some minor, some major, like losing a family or, or loved one, I should say. And mental wellness to me and mental strength, I guess, is being able to bring yourself back to that state of health, whether you do it yourself or whether you have a team guiding you and helping you through that. Awesome. And then my follow-up is, for yourself, what you do to manage your own mental well-being. So how you bring yourself back up that scale. Yeah, I do both meditation and hypnosis, or I should say self-hypnosis. Um, when I learned hypnosis, there was a time I dropped meditation completely. And I quickly realized that was a bad idea. Uh, though they operate on similar you know, patterns and habits, like the same mental muscle, they focus on different things. And having that ability to just clear my mind in meditation, it was very important to me. And so every single morning, I am using uh, 20 minutes of meditation and then 10 minutes of self-hypnosis. Self and those two tools have really helped me because self-hypnosis, it allows me to tweak certain things, but meditation gives me that calm and realizing or that realization that things are going to be okay and that I do still have this ability to regulate my emotions. Mm, fab. And I maybe should have asked this earlier. Um, and obviously I don't want you to give away all your trade secrets uh, <laughs> and it might not be something that people could just dive into with self-hypnosis. Self but I wonder if there's anything, little bits that you can recommend for us or possibly guide us through that we could try out. Absolutely. So self-hypnosis is difficult. I, I'll, I'll preframe it that way because you have to be both the hypnotist and the person being hypnotized. And so mm -hmm. I found the easiest way to um, 
teach people self-hypnosis is actually just to put them into self-hypnosis and then give them the tools to get back there. And so I've actually created a, uh, a resource on my website. It's, it's the hypnotic test drive and it shows people what hypnosis feels like and it gives some beneficial suggestions. And then the key is just to remember what that feels like in your body, in your mind and get yourself back there. But I do have a couple of resources that I can share and they're not exactly hypnosis, but these are some of the tools that I give my uh, anti-anxiety clients uh, to help them between sessions. The one that I typically start people with is um, 7-Eleven breathing. And it's very common nowadays, but it's all about the vagus nerve. And that vagus nerve is the nerve that runs from your brain to your heart and lungs. And it's the fight, flight, or freeze nerve, essentially. And all you have to do for the 7-Eleven breathing, you breathe in for a count of seven and you breathe out for a count of 11. And it helps if you purse your lips, I've found, to make it to all the way to 11. Um, the numbers aren't really important. What's important is that you're breathing out for longer than you're breathing in. And studying the, the science behind this, I believe it's because our brain does not, when, you know, when we need to breathe, it does not register that our lungs have a lack of oxygen. It registers that we have too much carbon dioxide. And so when we exhale all that carbon dioxide, our, our lungs are saying, oh, we have all this room for fresh oxygen. You are basically reverse engineering that process and saying, it's okay to be calm. You know, your body says it's okay to be calm. Your mind can be calm too. The other one I really love to start people with is uh, a little bit out there, but it comes from ancient Chinese medicine and acupressure, uh, qigong and that kind of area. Um, it's called Jin Shin Jutsu. And to do this, all you have to do is take one uh, finger of one of your hands, place it in your other palm, and squeeze until you feel your pulse. And then hold it for about 30 to 60 seconds and notice how that emotion changes. Now, each finger corresponds to a different emotion. The thumb is for general worry. The pointer finger is for panic. The middle finger is for anger, which is pretty easy to remember. The fourth finger is for sadness. And the fifth finger is for just overthinking things. I've had people use this they had a, like a phobia of flying and they've used this as the plane was taking off. And for the first time they were able to get through the entire thing. They weren't sure if it was anxiety or general worry. And so they just squeezed both their forefinger and their thumb. And those simple tools at first, I didn't believe it either. I didn't believe like just by breathing, I could calm myself down or just by squeezing a finger, I could calm myself down. I really encourage anyone listening to try them out for yourself. It literally takes like a minute and that resource, I still use those tools to this day before going on a podcast or doing a, a video shoot or going into a stage show or a conference. I'm doing these techniques because they work and they're building up that habit of feeling calm rather than that habit of anxiety I used to have. Mm. Yeah. And our ethos here is completely try stuff out and, you know, kind of see what works and does mm -hmm. about what I love about those is that they're really simple and you can kind of do them anywhere and people won't know like you're squeezing a particular finger for a particular reason. And I think the, the breathing on the counting, I think when you're focusing on counting the number, even if you don't get to seven eleven, your mind can't be so like, ah, oh, I'm stressed about all this stuff because <laughs> it's yeah. concentrating already. So it's a kind of double whammy. Mm -hmm. um, 
so yeah thank you for sharing those and we'll also um we'll talk about your website and everything uh, at the end but links so that people can find um find everything there as well uh, so my next question sometimes a challenge is uh, how would you describe your own mindset oh that is a good one i've never gotten <laughs> that question before my own mindset is that first and foremost people have the resources to change people have the abilities to change um I don't know if that comes from the, uh, the Buddhist idea of impermanence or just from my work in psychology and hypnosis, but I believe that everyone can improve their life and we are not stuck. We are not um, fixed or anything. And so that, that is, that is for me as well. I am constantly looking to improve myself. I feel like now I've gotten to a point I'm, I'm fairly satisfied with where I'm at, but I'm still reaching for the next higher goal as we always are. And the other side of that mindset is all about, you know, I, I mentioned the, the pursuing the new thing, but it, the other side is about balancing it out, about being kind to yourself. Because for so much of my life, I was not kind to myself. I was, yeah, we don't need to get into it, but <laughs> balancing that out, being kind and giving myself the space to have bad days or to, um, take some time off if that's what I need. And those two things have really helped me get my mindset in the right place. Yeah, awesome. I think that's something we can get into that, like having to be positive all the time. And if you're having a bad day mm. and you're genuinely feeling sad of thinking like, well, I shouldn't be and trying to get out of it rather than allowing yourself, like you said, that space just to be like, do you know what? Today is a sad day. I'm going to watch a sad film. I'm going to cry and eat some chocolate. And then tomorrow will be you know a different yeah. day i think honoring those feelings and allowing yeah. them out I, I give the metaphor of like a runner like a marathon runner um if, if you fall down like halfway through the marathon you don't have to get up and go all the way back to the finish or the starting line to start again like if you're working on your mental health and you have that bad day you fell down like get up the next day and just continue on like keep using the tools that you know have worked in the past it's not like a complete failure. It's just a stumbling block on the way. I think that's an awesome metaphor. I'm going to use that because we get really into this all or nothing mm. a lot, mm -hmm. don't we? If, and I think the classic is, you know, you're trying to eat healthier and then you suddenly have a day and you're like, well, that's it. It's over. <laughs> yep. But yeah, you don't have to go back to the start. Brilliant. I'm stealing that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So my, my next question is one of my favorites to ask because I'm very curious and uh, a little bit nosy about uh, what people do. Um, and so we, I ask everyone that comes on to leave us with between one and three top tips of things that we can try out in our lives and see if they work for us that could have a massive impact. So do you have a top one to three things for us? Ooh. For me personally, my first tip, um, meditation and yoga were instrumental in my own mental health journey. And I'm sure people have heard it all the time before, but those two things shaped the course of my life. And the second point is we have to get to the point to, to make that change. We call it threshold in, in my field. And it's that point where you decide you're going to make that change and you're going to make it right now. And until you make that change or until you get that point, 
any other tools like meditation or yoga, they may not fit for you. Like I've had people, I give them resources and they're like, I tried it, you know, like meditation, it's not really for me. I guess it's not really until you need it. As I mentioned in that hike, I had tried meditation before um, going on that blizzard hike, but it wasn't until I was broken down and I really needed something that I reached out for it. And I'd say that third tip, you know, tying these all together, you can use resources that you've used in the past. You can use resources that you've heard about, tried, and they might've failed at one point in your life, but something has changed. And that change might have put you in a right mindset to actually try this out. Personally, I grew up in a Christian household and I was a very Christian person. And now I consider myself a Buddhist and we never know just where our life is going. And so always be curious about where you're going and be willing and be open to, as you say, try new things and see if it fits in your life. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Like, honestly, everything you're saying, I'm like hundred <laughs> percent, so, even like the, uh, Christian background kind of Buddhist that as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think they're all fab. And I think it, it made me think of the, um, there's a saying, um, that you know when the student's ready the teacher appears that kind of thing that you can hear something I've had this before I read something I'm like not not feeling it and then I come back to it and I'm like yes this you know I think you have to be as you said open to it ready for it and I think there's this interesting thing with people that we're like often like we want to change we want things to be different but actually often we're not ready uh, to commit to what that change looks like and yes (laughs) the process and yeah absolutely I think we've got to be ready for it so mm-hmm. yeah awesome so my next question is a new one that I'm, I'm throwing in uh, I love to read and watch stuff you can't see but I'm like surrounded by books here <laughs> nice uh, <laughs> so I'm asking everyone that comes on if you've got a, a recommendation of a book or a TED talk or something that's really had a massive impact on you that you'd recommend people read or yes watch. I, I've got two recommendations both books uh, I'll I'll go with the non the fiction first um there was a point in my life that I really wanted to be a fiction author. Actually, for most of my life, I, that was my dream. And I eventually had to give that up. And I might return to it later, but um, I, I was pursuing perfection in that. And so that's another story. But the, the book, at this vulnerable point in my life, I stumbled across Barbara Kingsolver's book, The Poisonwood Bible. And it truly changed my life, not only because Barbara Kingsolver writes so beautifully, but this book is about a family of four girls and a wife who is dragged by a, a missionary husband to the Democratic Republic of the Congo. I think before it was Democratic Republic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is told through the viewpoints of those five women. And not only does Barbara King Solver write so beautifully, but she writes so distinguishedly, de- you know, definably between each of those characters that it is such a powerful read. And there are little nuggets of wisdom just sprinkled throughout the entire thing. From the very first page, you know that this book is, is deep. And that's one of my favorite books to this day. Um, as far as nonfiction goes, the one book that really changed the way I do business, as well as you know pursuing adventurous things in my life, was The One Thing by Papasan and Keller. And I, you can basically sum up the whole book in one idea. And it's what can I do right now such that by doing it, everything else becomes easier. 
It's identifying that point of leverage, that little stone that when you break it out of the system, everything starts to run again. And it's, it's based on like the 80-20 rule and all these other business mindsets, but it's such a concise way of defining it. The one thing by Papasan and Keller. Awesome. And I have not read either of those books. So I always love it. It's, I mean, it's, I love it when people give ones that I love as well, but I also love new book recommendations. Um, so thank you for those. Um, mm-hmm. And then my final question is where people can find you if they want to connect with you, if they want to work with you. Uh, you'd mentioned a resource on your website. If you can remind us of all of that, where are you? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. My main website is anywherehypnosis.com. I call it Anywhere Hypnosis because I work you know, all around the world with Zoom. Um, the two resources that I think your audience would really love, one is the hypnotic test drive, and that's just on my main page. It's basically a, a first hypnosis experience to show you what it's like. And I work through three of the, the main issues that people come in, in to see me for, I believe confidence, um, motivation, and dealing with negative emotions. So that's powerful. The other resources that, uh, your audience might really enjoy, uh, it's called, it's an older one I did called the, uh, the seven day stress-free challenge. And that's where I compiled the seven most powerful tools that I give to my anti-anxiety clients and Seven Eleven breathing and Jin Shinjutsu. They're two of those tools, but there are five other ones that are just as rapid that I still use to this day. Uh, and they can find that on my website as well. Awesome. And we'll absolutely link in the show notes so people can find you from there. Doug, this has been fab. I could honestly keep talking all day. And and so much of what you say, I I have said, I'm like, yes, absolutely. So I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your wisdom with us. Um, Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. You're welcome. So massive thank you again to Doug for joining us on the show and and sharing. And I really love this conversation for many reasons. Um, As I said before, I love having conversations with all the guests that come on. I find sometimes you have guests who, similar to today, who there's so much are like, yes, absolutely, I, I agree with everything you're saying. And that can feel really great of feeling I don't know seen heard understood that you're um, not alone you're part of something bigger all these kind of great feelings um, that can be really affirming I think or or kind of validating um, of our experience and, and all of that so I think that's awesome when that happens but I think also it's great when you have people who have different perspectives because I think that can help us to see things in a new way and to widen our worldview widen our perspective and I think there can be a lot of growth and and learning from there which is why I always sort of say try and have an open mind even if it's something that you think oh don't know to begin with and um you know thank you to Doug for managing my skepticism and answering my questions around that is something I always like to ask because yeah I am a bit of a skeptic and um sometimes you might be listening and thinking no that's not for me And maybe it isn't, but maybe just having an open mind might lead to something awesome. You never know. So yeah, I've enjoyed this episode. Uh, And actually, this is the last one before we have our next strategy roundup, our eighth strategy roundup. So these are ones that come out every 15 episodes or so. And we share the top tips from the previous batch of interviews. Uh, So you have that really nice, neat little package that you can dip into when you just need some ideas. So 
that will be coming on Monday. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Um, I really hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. And please do let us know what you think of the show generally of this episode. Uh, so you can connect with me at Psyche Coaching, P-S-Y-K-H-E Coaching on Instagram, Facebook, uh, where are the places, but that's where we hang out the most. Uh, and if you've enjoyed it, please do rate, review and share. It really does help us to reach more people. That's everything. So until Monday, take care of yourself, be kind to yourself, and I'll speak to you soon. Bye for now.